With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We got Bobby Ryan, and I'll tell you what, this is an absolute treat. And my brother, by the way, wants me to say hello to you. I'm going to give him a little airtime here on the show. But Jeff uh, Jeff said he absolutely enjoyed playing with you when you were a young kid coming up through the ranks. So he wanted me to make sure I said hello. I'm glad, man. I, I haven't seen or heard from him in a while. But fuck, if I had a webcam for like a 24-hour 7 access for one guy I ever played with, it might be him. Like just to, just to check uh, in on see what, what Petey's doing. So uh, give, give him my best. So I haven't talked to him in a while. He's a, he was one of my favorites. Like, it's a very small window, but we had a blast. Yeah, no, he, he said that. And uh, did he ever do, did he ever skate on the carpet for you guys? Did you ever see him skating? Yeah, no? I can't say no, no, no. I wasn't, I wasn't there. It was such a weird year for me because I was up and down uh all the time and then i wasn't really around until we got to that long playoff run uh which we went through and we ended up losing to uh wilkesbury but uh that's right know, we, we took we were playing pretty serious hockey at that point so he was on his best behavior but we had a great <laughs> run and uh i i, I wish I, I wish i played with him a little more in the regular season to see some of the antics that that uh i apparently missed out on so riv jeff and what my, year was that that was like oh eight oh nine Oh seven oh eight oh seven oh eight it was. So that's right. when you you got called yeah. up from uh, Owen Sound from the OHL. Is that what you're talking about? No, that would have been like oh five oh six. This was my first year full pro, uh, and I, I actually got to know PD a little bit before that. I got called up to Owen uh, Portland. Excuse me, and we went on one run there. Okay, um, and that he was a bigger part of the team then. Uh, the year that I my first year pro seven oh eight, he had some injuries and he was kind of in and out. Just yeah. and I, he was he was kind of winding down. If correct me if I'm wrong, he was kind of winding down the career. Yeah. yeah. Um. It, it ended up being Eric Wine, which was last year of hockey, and uh, I came down from Anaheim for the long playoff run. And uh, yeah, oh seven. So Wine Rich would kill me if you heard me tell this story, but he wasn't playing that series against Wilkesbury, and I. I drove down because I knew I didn't know how, how much longer my brother wanted to play or play over here. I think he was going to try to go to Europe. Then he ended up retiring and yeah. getting into medical device sales. But, but I was drinking back then. And I remember Weinrich wasn't playing because he had been hurt or something like that. So he and I, yeah, thank you. Yeah, he and I, uh, we hung out and, uh, man, he is one of the single great. I didn't, I mean, I hung out with him one time in my life. And Eric Weinrich is probably one of the single greatest, coolest guys I've ever. Do you know that he was my first defense partner in the NHL? You know what he said? I asked him to come on our pod. He's a Harriet. He's a Harriet. And tell Rib to go fuck himself. (laughs) (laughs) He's the the only defenseman that I've ever played with that there was two things. He said, Ribs, you're an offensive defenseman. That's the first time someone ever told me that in the NHL. Okay. He's like, just go every time you get a chance, just get up the ice. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, this is great. You know, like back to the old junior days, 
where I was appreciated. The other thing he says to me, he's like, Riff, he goes, this is how we're going to play this. He goes, when they come down on us and they dump it in your corner, he goes, I want you to turn and I want you to go and get it. But he goes, when they dump it in my corner, he goes, you're going to go get the puck in that corner too. (laughs) And I just like, all right. It's a smart guy. Such an old man move. eh? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I remember uh, Chris Pronger and Kent Huskins were uh, defensive partners at one point and we were in morning skate and like, you know, I was a young guy cutting my teeth. So you do the extra and Kent Huskins was doing it. Chris Pronger skates by goes skating awfully hard for a guy that's got to work both corners tonight, pal. Like, <laughs> like he just said, he just said it so casually. I was like, Husky, you got to get off, man. You can't be out here any longer. It was such a great line. <laughs> I know, I know those extra skates all so well. So you're in, you're in Idaho right now, and you're there for twelve hours, and you're making time for us. We'll, uh, we'll only keep it for three or four of those uh, twelve hours. <laughs> but no, fair enough. Bobby, greatly, uh, greatly appreciate you willing to come on with us. You have a, you have an <laughs> unbelievable life story. You have a great hockey career. You have an unbelievable life story. But before we get into like sobriety and your first game back and your NHL career and all this stuff, what are you doing right now? Are, are, can we talk about uh, the uh, the potential of what could happen in February? Or are we not allowed to talk about that yet? Um, well, I can I edit this out too. Through. I can edit it all out. Yeah, so no. it, uh, team USA decided to go a different route. So, uh, I won't be going, uh, had been, had been training and planning. Like I was, are you guys frozen? There? Sorry. Okay. No. Uh, no, no. I, I thought I was going, I kind of thought maybe there was a potential and there was, I was in the conversation to go, but, uh, I, I think in 2018, when the NHL players didn't go, they had taken a, quite a few guys that weren't playing hockey, um, in the same position I'm in. And those were the guys that didn't quite, I guess, pan out um, for what they were planning to do. So uh, I just got the call an hour ago. So now I'm not, I'm not too sure what's next. I'm, you know, I'm in the crosshairs right now and uh, trying to look down, you know, trying to look forward and and see what's going on now. The taxi squads are back, so there might be an opportunity to play in that regard. But uh, yeah, so you're so you're staying ready. You're staying ready to try to try to still play. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't right out of the gate, I kind of got to a point where I was like, you know, and I think we've all been at that place where you're just trying to decide what's next for you and your family. And, uh, uh, you guys have been through it. I'm going through it right now. And, uh, you know, now, now you get to the tougher questions of, is it worth it? Uh, how long are you willing to, how long are you willing to sprint when you have no clue what the distance is? Right. So, uh, I'm doing all that right now, but uh, staying ready. as Has there been any thought about maybe going over to play in Europe? That was something that for me, like I, I played, uh, you know, I played a long time in the National Hockey League, but it, and it's and I don't have any regrets, all the good, the bad and the ugly that happened with 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 myself. But I yeah. always I always um, I envy those guys that had the opportunity to go over and play in Europe, whether it was in Sweden, Finland, Russia, you know, Switzerland, yeah. even Italy, the the Italian League. I, I just think that it would um it would be something that would be interesting. I, I always felt like I wanted to do that. Do you have any desire to go over to Europe and play? Man, I, if you asked me before kids, like it was a hundred percent guaranteed that I would go. Um, got a five and a three year old COVID that really kind of threw things askew, right? Like they, yeah. they went, they, they went to school on Tuesday. Um, and that was the first time they both been to school in 22 months for my five-year-old and ever for my three-year-old. And it's like, you got to get to a place where you're, you're giving them some stability too. Yeah. So, 
So I don't think it's really an option. Uh, I went over for the Spengler Cup, was there for five days, and it got canceled the morning of the tournament. So like literally, you know, I was in Davos. I scrambled to get home, missed Christmas. Um, so at this point, no, no, I, I could have stayed in Switzerland and uh, signed with Ambry and, and stayed, but it just, I, I don't want to be away anymore. You know, like we, I, I, as a sober guy, PD, I can tell you like it, it, I spent too long building my family back up to a place to go and, and leave. I'm just not there anymore. Um, so I think, I th- I'm not sure if I'm done, but I'm going to try and play, but I want to play in North America. You say as a sober guy and, and, you know, I'll just say this, Riv and I were just talking about your first game back. And I remember, I remember going on the air the next day, we did a live show that, that, uh, you know, we're, we're not doing anymore, but by our choice, just so you know, but, uh, I remember going on the air the next day and I remember, I remember just, I almost, I got so emotional. Riv wasn't on the show that day. I can't remember why I think he was traveling, uh, for hockey coaches, youth hockey, and I was doing the show with, with a gentleman by the name of Paul Hamilton, who works for uh, actually these guys right here, WGR 550 there, you know, and, and he, and I, we started talking about your story and I just started, I don't have the same story you do as to, to why I'm sober and, and all that stuff. Obviously we all have our different paths and I'm happy to share mine with you too. But I remember going on the air that day and I remember, I remember getting so choked up and it had nothing to do with me sharing about my sobriety. It was your story. It was, and, and not, and, and I, and, and I even knew your story about your childhood, which I don't know how comfortable you are and how much you talk about that or still talk about it or whatever, want to talk about it. Um, but man, I was so emotional. I was so happy for you. I was so happy for you. Yeah. And I was so happy that I kind of had a little connection to you through my brother. Cause my brother and I had talked about it and texted about it, but I can tell you like you, you coming clean about going to rehab and all this stuff and, and therapy, I have to imagine has helped a lot of people, uh, you know, and, and good on you for doing it. And I, I mean, I'm going to ramble on here because sobriety is a passion. Yeah, can I, can I cut in here? Like, I mean, everybody, well, you're, you're actually right fucking now. irrelevant about, right now. Listen, Rip. you're, you're making me all re- irrelevant, but I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to chime into this and I'm not the, like, I'm, I'm an emotional guy too. And, and I'm going to tell you this, and this is not a, a lie that I remember calling Petey after uh, I think it was the next game. And I had said, did you watch the senators game last night? This is literally one of the most mind blowing, you know, situations that I've watched in a long time. And I'm going to tell you right now, you got to stab me in the, uh, in the eye with a pencil to get me watch the Ottawa senators play because I'm not a big fan. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm a, I'm a Northern Ontario boy. Um, I don't like the Leafs and I don't like the senators. I played for the Montreal Canadians right there. And, and, and I, it was, it was painful to watch them, but I'm going to tell you this. I watched the game for one reason. And that was Bobby Ryan. I wanted to see, (laughs) I wanted to see, I'm like, man, this guy's been out, you know, some struggles. He's coming back. And I was, I was, I was watching to see like how you would do. And if you would like score that goal, because I know sometimes when you get in those situations, okay. And you come back and you're charged, you're like, you're like an elite player. Okay. Like your statistics throughout your career are pretty damn impressive. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if he's going to rise to the occasion and just bury one. And then all of a sudden you buried one 
And it was a yeah. sick goal too. Jumps into the glass. All the boys are there. Yeah. This is great. And I'm just like, I get, I'm like sitting at home. I'm like, holy shit, man. Like, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden. And the one goal was more than enough. Hey? Like, oh yeah. Like all, all you needed was I like, that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was an absolutely sick goal. Right. Cause you weren't yeah. no offense. You, you hadn't, you, what, you had one goal in 16 games up until that point. It, yeah, it was something like that. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't nothing impressive at that point. Uh, well, for a fourth liner like me, it was impressive. But for a guy <laughs> yeah. that's, that's making seven yeah, million, yeah. yeah, no, you're right. I know. Yeah, no. So yeah. then all of a sudden you score that second one. And now all of a sudden the goosebumps on the arms are going up. And you know what I'm thinking? Everybody is, I don't know if everybody's thinking this, but I'm like, holy shit, man, this guy needs a hat trick. This guy needs a hat trick so bad. Like, come on, boys, get it, get him the hat trick, set him up. I, I gotta be like, and I realize I'm talking to a fighter and a defenseman here, but you ever, you, you ever like, you just know, right. Some nights, like you, you just have that feeling. And I knew in warmups, I was like, fuck, I feel good. Like something like I got, I got this jump that I haven't had in a while. I knew the crowd was going to help. Um, but you almost don't want to have too much energy either you because then you're just running. So I was like, all right, you got to control this a little bit. And I scored the first one. And then I fought at the end of that period. Uh, That's right. Yeah. So I, and then uh, I got split for like a bunch of zips and I'm in there getting it. And I'm like fucking shaking. And I was like, I got two more periods to play. Like I, I thought the night was over. I was like, I could, I, I'm out. Just yeah. shut it down. And then, yeah, I got the, uh, yeah, obviously it, that was the, probably the hardest night of my sobriety early on because you're just i mean and pd you know like when you're going through early sobriety and you're going through the ups and the downs it's fucking everything's a grind um and that like that about as high as you can get there after a hat trick so i remember getting home and like number one the text and you're trying to get back to people and i remember like just just being like get me to bed so that I don't go anywhere or do anything. Like I was, I was trying not to ride that yeah. high too much, but it was, man, it was, it, it's been a couple of years now uh, since then, but it's, uh, I, I'm never going to forget that night. I'm really never going to forget it. It was incredible. Well, that's a night where that's a night where normally for guys that, that like to hang out, party, have some beers where you're hitting the bar to, yeah. to go. Right. I mean, I, I, like, I mean, I had an assist or I had a good fight. I was out of the bar celebrating. You know what I mean? I mean, that's a celebratory night. I mean, how, 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 you should have seen the night after the Ottawa brawl. I hit every bar in Buffalo, but, but like, but what, what was that? Like, how hard was it to, to, to stay on the straight and narrow after, after a night like that, where it's a celebratory evening? Yeah, I think normally it would have been for sure. Oh, well, it would have been I mean, not, you know, I don't think I know normally yeah. I would have, but I, uh, you know, at that point anyway, I'm still married kids. So I would have been home with a bottle of wine. It's not like it would have been, you know, life changes and you don't, you go from being downtown in the Byward market to, to being at home with your wife and kids anyway. But yeah, I would have for sure would have drank and celebrated that at home. Um, you would have cracked open a nice yeah. uh, 1980 uh, something, right? We we would have been throwing something back for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I just remember being so worn out. Like, like it was just, you know, all this pressure to get back to playing and then to do that. And like, I remember getting home, it was 1130 and it was just like, gave my wife a hug and I was like, get me to bed. Like, please. <laughs> Cause that's, that's the thing people forget, no matter how high it gets, like you got to turn around and be at the rink in nine hours. You're going right yeah. back and they don't give a shit what you did last night when they show the video. So, uh, 
yeah, I think you learn to, for me anyway, I learned how to kind of deal with those situations. And I, and previously I had no idea how to deal with anything, you know, still uh, learning what, though, for sure. When, uh, so when you went into the NHL substance, uh, abuse program, like when did you, um, realize that there was an issue, that there was a problem that needed to be addressed? Fuck. I, well, I think I knew beforehand. Well, I, I don't think I, I know I knew I, I, I was just doing, and, and I was white knuckling, I guess you could call it. Uh, I'm like, nah, I don't know. You're just going to stop drinking. And then all of a sudden you're home and you're cooking dinner with your wife and you're having a bottle of wine cooking and you're having another while dinner is going on. And you're just like, Fuck. like, I, I just couldn't get off that cycle. Um, and for me, I wasn't like, there's so many different types of alcoholics and drinkers that like, for me, it wasn't an everyday thing. It was just the no faucet thing. Like I couldn't turn the faucet off once I started. Uh, and that was, we were in Detroit to play. The guys went out, they all went to the fo- football game. I had some errands to run. So I did my thing, met up with the guys after. And, uh, you know, the night just turned ugly for me. Everybody else went home, but I didn't. Uh, and I just woke up in the morning. I was like, if I don't go now, I'm going to chalk this up to another bad day and hungover day in the NHL where you grind through practice and you, you know, deal with it afterwards. But I was like, I can't, I can't do this one more day. Uh, and, and luckily I've never how, really had to again. So, you know, playing, playing in the, in the, in the national hockey league, it seems like, you know, what you just described to me right now, it kind of seemed like 75% of the players that I've played with. Yeah. You go home, yeah. have yeah. a couple, you know, a few bottles of wine, you know, it, it's like an everyday thing, you know, for, for a lot of these, a a lot of these players, but you know, you're saying that like, when did it start affecting the lifestyle? When did it start to really, where you knew that this is just not a, um, something that I'm doing as an enjoyable glass of wine here and there, but it's becoming a lot more than that. Honestly, probably two years before that, um, where I had had a couple look in the mirror moments for myself and was like, you got to get better at this. And then, I mean, you guys know how it goes. You're like, ah, last night got away from me. And then you chalk it up to a bad night and you don't deal with it. Um, wife's mad at you. You're on the couch. You're doing this and that. And you're like, oh, yeah. But then you get back into the bed and you're like, oh, it's, everything's good. You go another month and you do it again. And, and again, like over time, it just adds up. And um, I think I was doing that for a long period of time, probably a good two years before I was like, you know, before my wife and I were like, it's, you got to figure this out. Like there's, there's no good end in sight when you're doing it once a month, the way I was doing it. Yeah. There's just, there's just no good end. I, I want to ask you just like, so going back to that first game back, how did you prepare? I mean, how long, how long were you in, in uh, rehab for? Um, what did you do there to stay ready to play, if anything? And then how long did you have to prepare to get ready to come back and play when you were out? So I think this will be like my only grievance with the whole process. And like, we're, you know, we're watching Carrie Price go through the process right now where I thought I was going for 30 days um, to where I went in, in California. And then I thought I was going to get back. And my goal wasn't to play right away. I was like, I'll have to practice. Right. And I'll have to like, you know, earn my way back. I understand that. But I got back and it was like the most isolating part of it was like, you can't travel, you can't skate, you can't, or you could skate, excuse me, but you can't skate with the team. Um, you're on your own. So like I had to go through like 70 something days of that just to get back to playing. 
And it was like, okay, after two weeks of this, you can clear another hurdle to get to this. And then it was just like, wow. It felt like I was just jumping through hoops for a long period of time. And I couldn't get an answer from anybody. I felt like the NHL was telling me one thing. The coaches were telling me one thing and the GM was telling me another. And, you know, my agents having direct conversations with my team. And I, I just like, I got to like, I left in the end of November, got back for Christmas uh, to my home in Ottawa with the family. And then didn't play till the end of February, I want to say, uh, maybe even early March. And it was like two months of just like with zero answers. I'm like, we've already, we, you guys literally diagnosed me as a person that struggles with inconsistency, <laughs> uh, no set routine. And you are giving me no information. That would be my only. Yeah. It's enough to drive somebody so to drink, Bobby. So you were, yeah, you were, yeah, that's, a, that's enough. That right there is enough yeah. to make somebody crack. Oh, I did. I was, it, that was, it was so hard. Cause I, I was like, I had to pee in a cup every morning. Right. So I like what wasn't going to be an issue, but at the same time, I was like, everything that you have helped me diagnose and like learn about myself, you're, and I, I think it's probably by design, but I was like, you're testing me in every sense of this word right now. Like you're, you're giving me no answers. And they're like, well, we don't want you around the team. We don't want the media there. I get back to Ottawa and they're like, we scheduled, we scheduled you ice. And it was during the bell capital cup uh, at the local rink. So like I'm walking through the front door with, you know, a bunch of peewee and squirt teams and going to different locker rooms. I was like, you just told me you don't want me in front of people, but you threw me in the biggest, you know, minor league hockey tournament in the world at the bell capital cup. And we're at the same rink right now. It was, that was, that was a shit show. But uh, I got in great shape. I got ready. And then the team, I mean, the, the strength and conditioning coaches were awesome. They they took time out of their day every day to meet me as opposed to, you know, the guys would go on the ice at one place. They'd come over, work me out and get me on the ice. So I, I had all the tools at my disposal. It was just, yeah, it was, it was a long, it was a hundred days of that. I've, How I've done a- 30 days. You know, I don't know if you want to speak uh, about this or the process, but how was the 30 days where you had to leave, you know, obviously your family, um, your teammates um, and and go and spend basically a month in in a in another state and and know that you're trying to get better. And and how was the process um, of all of that for you? It, it, it was <clears throat> excuse me, it was good. It, it was, I mean. I think when you, I don't know if you did this, Petey, I don't know if you did 30 days or anything. Um, for me, it was, you have a lot of gut checks in a short period of time, right? Um, so it was, it's very humbling. Um, but like immediately when I get there, you're, you're in a place where, you know, people are going in for different reasons. You have people that drink too much wine like me, or you have people that are serious users that are going in and detoxing for the first five days. So when I got there immediately, um, I had to really ask myself if I was supposed to be there. <laughs> like, I'm like, the, you know, your level of alcoholic or, or, you know, user is so much more than mine, but we're the same. And you have to, you have to get to a place where you're comfortable saying that, right? Like, and it took me, it took me a good two weeks to get to that place. And then after that, you can, you can kind of get some enlightenment and you can kind of, learn a little bit more about what, what's what's really plaguing you i think if, if i'm using the right words there um but it was at the end of the day you're in malibu so you're it's gorgeous um the weather's great you're outside you're you're in the fresh air you're doing meetings you're going but you're exposed to everything in a short period of time um so that, i guess my answer to your question would be like it's 
it, it was cathartic for me. I had to, I had to like, I had to learn about myself a lot more. And then I had to like really get to the issues of why. And that's, that's, that's hard when you get to the issues of why that's the hardest part. Um, well, I've you, heard, you, I, I, I didn't do rehab, but I've heard they, they oh, tear you down, you know, like lay everything out on the table, like literally just gut you and buddy, you talk about you, everything individually, like literally. Yeah. You, you, you get to a point where you're in the fetal position crying and you can't figure out. And then you're like, well, they're going to bring you back in in an hour. They're going to tell you why you're doing that. Right. Like you, you, you get extremely exposed. And like, I, I had some conversations in rehab that I had never had and probably needed to have for like 20 years for me. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, when you go back and touch on all the family stuff, like I had some questions that I needed answers to that I wasn't getting. And then you, you know, you, you, you find them, I guess. Uh, well, I don't think you ever put closure on your upbringing. And I'll talk about that because a lot of substance abuse begins with childhood and your childhood was, you know, pardon my French fucked up, man. Like it's, yeah. it's messed up, you know? And, um, you know, like, like what, how, how, I guess, how much of that did you realize played a factor in, in what was going on with you? Uh, it was all of it. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was the biggest factor and, and what you said is a hundred percent accurate. It's, it always goes back to something in your childhood or something that you, that you, experience but didn't process or deal with um mm -hmm. you know and my mom and, and for me it all came to a head my, my daughter was born she's five now five and a half my daughter was born and my mom died six weeks later right so this was like this hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, she, she, met, she met her and then she passed, but the last couple of weeks were hospice. So like I my relationship was strained enough as it was with my mom and I had questions to ask, but then you don't get to ask them because you're dealing with death instead. Right. You're just in this weird limbo situation. Uh, and I never got, I, I guess I never got the closure that you want to get from that. Um, because how are you going to get it at that point? Right. You're just, you know, you're, you're, I guess you're just surviving, but you're not dealing with anything. And like, it, you know, daughter born mom dies two years later a little guy comes on and like all these different life scenarios you know you're on the 16th fairway of a career um give or take and you're you're winding it down you're not playing to the seven million dollar contract you have and like all these things are just this perfect tornado that like i i escaped with the wrong way like we've all escaped in different ways i escaped with it you know tragically in, into a bottle of wine because you're looking for answers that you think you're going to get when you're half a bottle of wine deep and you're like i'm really profound right now yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. fuck, i got all the answers right now but you got yeah. but you can but it's you when really you wake it's when you wake up in the morning <laughs> yeah. and you're all foggy and you're saying i don't have the answers anymore well and then you, and, well it's even worse because you can't remember the conversation with yourself so you're like uh shit i got so you dip into the bottle of wine again that night to try to have that yep. same conversation again <laughs> yeah 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 it's exactly what i was doing and just uh you know, it's nice. I, I don't think you ever, like you said, you never get closure, but you learn to get comfort. I guess if that makes some sense. So uh, I feel better about where I'm at now than I ever have. <clears throat> so what, what is your, what's your relationship like with your father? 
we're good. Um, we're, no, we're good. We're, we're, we talk every day. Um, you know, I got a, I got five and three or my kids and, um, you know, he doesn't leave. He's very set in his ways. He's a South Jersey guy. He's not leaving South Jersey. So, uh, don't see him as much as we, we should by any means. Um, I don't go back to Jersey. I don't think there's any reason to ever really go back to Jersey. If you guys have been there, you understand. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're good. We, I, I'm, I'm looking at my phone cause it just texted me. So we're, we're good. We're, we're, I don't think we're as close as you should be, but, um, and I don't think we ever will be, but we're certainly good. How how much of, um, how much of your upbringing, and I don't know how much you, you <coughs> talk about it or get into it, but how much of, of that helps you with your parenting now? Quite a bit. Um, but I, think I mean, cause you, you mentioned stability for your kids just in regard to COVID. And I mean, you're a kid who's, family you know quick synopsis for people listening who might not know the exact story i mean you're running from the law your your father was a, a top 10 most wanted in the united states is that right um yeah. you know and and again like i i don't want to i don't want to you know harp on on that part of your story because you know where you've come since then is is the bigger story for yeah. me anyway but i mean you talk about stability for your kids i mean i, I got to imagine that that do you do you still reflect on on those things and 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 think man i got to do this for my kids i got to do this for my kids i got to provide this for my kids i mean how does that how does it work into your day-to-day life not as much because i i work to not make it part of my i guess day-to-day life and my my decision making um and and like I've learned that I have certain triggers and if I go too far down that rabbit hole, I get to a place where I got to really work to get out of it like mentally. Um, but I mean, because my story has been so wide open that like, you know, I talk about it all the time and I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable going there. I just have to realize that there's places that you don't tread in that, you know, in that story for me that I, that I have to get out of going back to kids. Like I, I was raised I think ultimately as parents, you have an obligation to teach your kids a few things and one of them manners. And like, I, I was given that by my dad in spades, like the, like the, the certain fabrics that you know is right and wrong. I, I got a very good moral compass on because of my dad, regardless of all the stuff that happened outside of that. Right. Um, yeah. those foundations were there. So I rely on those foundations every single day. Um, you know, where, where I think for me as a parent, you have to differ between what I got. It was very militaristic, I guess, in a sense for me. Um, you know, this hockey and like my dad was, you know, my dad's like, there's a, there's a goal. We're doing everything correctly. It was 4am on the, you know, wake up, go to the rink before hockey or before school doing all this stuff. I don't think, and that's, that's where I changed is where I'm like, I got to be a little more lenient than, than I think uh, my dad was in that sense. Now, was that schedule trying? Was that schedule? You know, obviously your dad knew that you were a very upper echelon player. He wanted he to saw something that. special in you at a young age, didn't he? I, I think he did, yeah. I, I honestly I probably should ask him at what point he knew, but I don't think he knew. I just think he realized if if he's gonna try when did you know? I don't think I knew until I was, you know, a peewee bantam player. Um and all of a sudden you're and you guys have been through this because that that difference happens at that age where the best players all of a sudden are the smaller players and now they're getting hit. So that changes. And like, I was always 
kind of the middle of the road, uh, you know, through Pee Wee and Bantam, and then you start to see the game change. And I just stayed where I was on that path and everybody veers off and goes different ways. And, um, you know, even on our Pee Wee and Bantam team, I don't think I was the best player. I think I was one of them, but you know, as, as you keep going to the next level, you're like, okay, something's now separating you from these guys. You're putting up the same points that you're doing here and here, and you're putting up more and more where these guys are falling off. And that's, yeah. So it, I, it, you know, I was, I was always on that curve, but I had a different work ethic. I was homeschooled. I was at the rink every day. Um, and, and yeah, and my dad taught me a program that worked. So I just kept on that program. Yeah. And yeah. What was your, you got drafted to the OS, Owen sound attack. Um, what were you drafted? Seventh overall, I think. Seventh overall. Yeah. All right. That's, Seventh overall. It's not bad. Why? Well, so I wasn't going. I, I had like zero. He was being sarcastic. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had zero interest in the OHL. Uh, I was committed to Michigan. Um, as an American player, like that's where you want to go. You want to go to school. Um, yeah. But I remember Saginaw was picking first that year, and Saginaw was like, Will you come watch a game? I said, Yeah, sure. I was playing for Honey Bake, drove up, and they lost like 11 to 1. I was like, This is, you know, you're picking first overall. I get it. Now I know why, but I'm not going there. Um, so I, I emphatically said, no, like I, I would have been the first overall pick. Who but was the first been, overall that year? It ended up, I actually remember this. It ended up being Patrick McNeil, um, who ended up being, I think he was a fifth round pick of Washington, uh, really good junior player, really good. And, and he played some pros, some Hershey stuff. Um, and had a nice career for himself, like carved out a nice career, but there was like nine guys that they were trying to get to go first overall and nobody would go like nobody. So, uh, I was, I like to say I was the first overall pick of the nine that said no. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick story about Owen sound. Owen sound was picking second overall my year. They did the exact same thing. Owen sound platers. I think they were called at the time. Yeah. And uh, I, we got a call and uh, they wanted, uh, they wanted me to go there at second overall. And my dad said, absolutely not. Yeah. So. yeah. I was, uh, I was like the first guy that actually went up there. Uh, I mean, you probably heard the saying like that. And that was a saying in the OHL was like, you, you fuck around, you end up in the sound. Like <laughs> nobody wanted to go there. Um, so they took what a, a shithole, man. Oh man. It was, it, I went up there and I was like, this is not, I'm not coming here. There's no way. Um, and then you get to know the community a little bit and it ended up being the best thing I've ever done going there. Um, but I, I figured I'd be a fifth or sixth round pick because that's how teams do it for American players. They just take yeah. you, hold your rights or whatever. And then they called me and were like, we took you seventh overall. Will you at least come look? And I got there and I was there for a weekend and I was floored by how much um, I needed to be in a place like that um, for where I was in my life. And my mom needed to be in a place like that too. Right. Uh, Cause she came with me the first year and we were like, it was a, it was a the first year was, you know, hockey terms, it was okay. It was up and down, but it was like, we took a breath, my mom and I, for the first time in years going up there. So it ended up changing my life around and it was a good oh, place good. for me to be. But uh, yeah, when guys call me to ask about it, I'm like, uh, can you not go to London? <laughs> like, <laughs> like is, is London on the board? But uh, it, like, what, a, what a community though. The people are incredible. So when did you say that? When you get to Owen Sound, how old were you? 16? 16. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you get to Owen sound, you're the seventh pick overall. Was there any kind of hype about you? Cause now there's hype about kids three, four, five years before their draft. Was there any yeah. kind of hype about Bobby Ryan? Cause I mean, you went second overall in the NHL draft. 
about you being even not even drafted in the NHL, but like a first round pick. There was, there was a lot. Yeah. And the, yeah. It was the, the buzz was something that I hadn't experienced because I, I, you guys have to remember at this point, I played one year for honey big where the buzz is changing uh, and getting more and more in your face, I guess would be the way to put it. But I, before that I played for three years in LA with the junior Kings and we were the best team in the country and we were going to all these places and shit kicking teams, but you get back to California and nobody cares. Right. So you don't realize what's in front of you. And then all of a sudden you're thrust into honey big committed to the program, committed to Michigan. Um, and then you veer away from all that and go to this, you know, this league that, uh, has media, has all these different things. And I was, I was overwhelmed for sure. Um, and I remember I, I scored, my second or third and then i got suspended for jumping a guy um and you'll have to discern for yourself but apparently i kept beating him after he said no (laughs) so uh i i got suspended for three games and i'll never forget that was like my wake-up call to media and canada being suspended like that was like holy shit this is now you're you're essentially a pro you just you got to learn how to learn you got to learn how to live with it so let's let's fast forward. Uh, what was the pressure like in your draft year? It wasn't. It, I wouldn't say it was immense. Um, and because is that because of Crosby? Say, he was taking all the stardom. I was going to say that that had something to do with it, but we were really fortunate to play or be drafted into a year where the lockout was going on that you guys lived through in '05. So we were. I think if it weren't for Crosby, I don't think we would have had a draft. I think we would have been picked online, like, or virtually. That's kind of where we were at. But they had to throw this together so that he could walk stage and get the pictures. Because um, I got drafted in an Ottawa ballroom with 20 people, right? There's only 20 players in our draft. It was thrown together within a week. So I was really fortunate that the NHL lockout, where guys were playing, we all just kind of flew under the radar all season long. So nothing ever felt like it was paramount or in front of me from a draft standpoint. Tell me this, and then we'll move on to your NHL career. Um, Brian Burke, his uh, he, I, you know, in his interview, he said he he had heard such great things about you and your character and your personality before you walked into his meeting. And he said, uh, did, "Well, first of all, did you watch the thing that Sportsnet did about you and your family, the the secret life of Bobby Ryan? Did you end up watching that?" I did. I, I, I watched. It, yeah, uh, only because I, I I love Christine Simpson, who who ended up being the person that I, I've always, I've always really enjoyed working with her and she was really delicate with how she did it and approached my parents with it. So I did watch it just to, I, I guess, okay. support her in some way, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I did watch it. Yeah. She's fantastic. And she did fantastic work on that, on that project. But Brian Burke was interviewed in there and he said he wanted you to fail his meeting. He wanted you to come in and he, what was that like going into Brian Burke? Did you know anything about him? And then, you know, what was that meeting with him like? Very intimidating. I remember, I remember being, there was very few rooms um, that I went into that I was like, I, I don't want to be here. Um, but that was one of them. Cause I was just intimidated by Brian Burke. He's got the fucking half tie on his, and he was, you know, this is 20 years ago. So he's got the hair slicked back. He's, you know, he was looking good. Uh, and he was hard and the questions were, you know, he was fair, but he was criti- critical. I think they want to get a rise out of you in some sense, but like I, I had made up my mind going into all those meetings leading up to the draft. I was like, I got nothing to hide. So if you're going to ask about family, I'm going to be honest. And I, I, I've always been very self-reflective of myself in the hockey sense. So I was able to be critical and they're like, you don't skate very well. I'm like, 
but I'm still in the conversation. I do you remember? Do you remember a question? That kind of, yeah. you is that what you said to him? I don't. Yeah, but I'm still in the conversation to be number two overall or something. Is that what you said? I was. Still, I, was I said I'm still in the room. Like we're still having this conversation. So you can get better at skating, right? But you can't teach how to. You can't teach a guy how to play the game or think the game. You can teach the fundamentals. And you can get better. And I don't know if I ever actually got better at skating. I got, if I'm being completely honest. I, I got a little less Bambi-like as my career went on. But like, you're going into these meetings and you almost have to be, if you want to be appealing, you almost have to be cocky or arrogant or, you know, you have to come off as saying, like, I can do all the things you want me to do, but here I am. Here's what I have to work with. You have to make the pick, not me. And that's the way I approached it. And I think we had a great conversation because of it. Riv, I know you have a question, so just ask it after this, but I got a quick story for you, Bobby. I, uh, in those meetings, I was ranked late first, second round. Like I was, I was, I knew I was going to be a second rounder. Oh, that's extremely confident. I mean, I could have slipped, but I was confident I was going in the second round at least. And I went 34th overall, but, but I remember I went into a meeting with Tampa Bay because they could have, they were picking first overall. They took the Cavalier and they weren't going to take me obviously first, but who knows where they could get me second round, third round, whatever. Right. So they were interviewing everybody. And they said, if you were Andrew Peter, if you were the Tampa Bay lightning, where would you draft Andrew Peters? I said, I draft him number one overall. And right. <laughs> yeah, <fucking> right. <laughs> I've got no chance going number one overall. Right. But then, but then I went into, into like, I think it was Boston and Boston's like, where would, where would you take Andrew Peters? And I said, right where, you know, I take him wherever you're picking, or maybe it was Pittsburgh at 24 or something. And, uh, you know, I said, I'd take me in the first round. I said, but just so you know, when I go to Detroit in 10 minutes, I'm telling them the same thing. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly right? what I yeah. said to him. Right. I mean, yeah. what have you, what have you got to lose? Go ahead, Riv. Riv, Riv this is the it's most so question Rivs has ever had too. Oh, I, I, I can't remember. I, I think I was going to ask you, you know, being, I, I remember being in those, um, those interviews. And I remember being like, I, I, I think back about how young and immature you are, or at least I was like, I was, I mean, so immature, so nervous about all of that and, and answering all those questions. Um, I was just wondering, like, was there a certain team that you sat down with and that they'd asked you a question where it raised your eyebrows, put a smile on your face and just went, was like, what the heck? I remember, I guess I wouldn't remember a team, but I remember a certain meeting where, and, and like, there's always one story every year that comes out where they're like, they asked me to do this, where they put your thumbs down on the table and they put a glass of water on and they want to see how you solve the problem. And I like, I didn't have to do any of that, but I remember like, uh, and I can't remember the, t- I, I want to say it was Florida, but I'm, please don't, you know, commit me to that. But they put like a, a worksheet in front of me and we're like, fill this out. And I was like, I, I was just fucking done. Cause you're the meeting's 25 minutes, right? You have seven minutes and then you go sit and do it the whole thing over again. So you do 15 on day one, 15 on day two, if you're a high first round pick. And I was, I just remember it was like meeting 12 of the day. And I was like, no, I'm <laughs> just fucking out. I'm done. I was like, I've done the same thing. Like, Right now, I feel like I'm a shitty hockey player because I've had to go through my weaknesses with every team, <laughs> and I'm going to be a top five pick. Like you're, like you know, right? I was, that's like you're I picking. I'm looking at the draft right now. You're picking twentieth. I'm not even going to be there. I remember, I the night before the actual drafts, um, and this, this ended up being a, a, a life changing thing for me too. Um, Brian Burke says to me on my way out, "I'm picking you second overall tomorrow," and I said, "Okay." 
that was the, that was it, right? I was done. But Columbus was picking fifth or sixth, and they had asked me to come in and do a late night interview with their, um, I guess, psychologist. Um, I was already second overall. I, I knew it, and but I had made this commitment to this meeting. So, you know, immediately, and then I had to drive through downtown Ottawa to go to a different hotel. So I was fucking livid that I had to go. And I remember calling my dad and uh, Bobby Clark, who's been, you know, a pretty central figure in my life and decision-making and things. Um, and my dad said, you don't have to go. And I remember saying to Bobby Clark, I said, I made the commitment, I'm going to go. And he said, that's exactly what I would want to hear from you. Like that was, right, you, you're still going to this thing. And she's talking and I sat down with her and I said, listen, I'm going second over tomorrow. Brian Burke already told me, you want to get into some shit? And we ended up having a life conversation at 18 years old. And I worked with her throughout my entire career, still have a great relationship with her. She was one of the first people I called when I got sober and needed help. Uh, And that meeting ended up being a central part of my life, but you don't, you don't know that you're going to get that from the night before the draft. Right. So it was, you know, kind of a roundabout. That's incredible. So yeah, it was, it really was. That's incredible. How was uh, how was Brian Burke after you made it after you got to to Tampa or Tampa to Anaheim and after you you uh, you know just started coming up through the ranks? Fuck, he was hard on me, man. Um, and I, I I say that knowing it was great for me, but he was hard um, because you know it, there was all this. Sidney Crosby was able to step right in. There's generational players; we all know that. Um, you know, picks two through five outside of, you know, Pricers had a long career, but like a lot of guys aren't, didn't play, guys just don't play very long. Right. So you're, but you're, you have this idea in your mind that you're going to step right in at 18 year old, 18 years old. And I wasn't going to do that, especially with a team that was a cup contender. Like Anaheim was, I ended up winning the cup two years later. How the fuck was I going to make that team? (laughs) So, um, I had, I had a lot of pressure in, in, in my own mind. Um, to get there and stay there ended up missing my entire first camp, uh, with a shoulder injury. And then it, he, he was hard on me all the way up and I'll never forget. Um, I led the team in preseason points, but didn't make the team said, we're sending you to Iowa, Iowa, like Des Moines, uh, was where I went. And he goes, if I don't have you back within a month, I will trade you to get you in the league. Cause you're an NHL player at this point. Went down to Iowa, had a great attitude. Brian Burke stepped down, <laughs> like, like didn't like left the Ducks organization. So I'm just sitting there going, holy fuck, like, what am I doing? Um, Bob Mary ended up being my first full-time GM, called me up the next day and I had never, I never went back. Um, but yeah, Burke is like, I'll get you up here while all this and then steps down and leaves and goes to Toronto. And I was like, you know, you're left holding your hat going, am I ever going to play in this league? That's, that's how I felt at the time. But, uh, yeah, he was he was hard on a young guy. Question. Go ahead, go ahead, River. You know, we all. So for me, I retired uh, from from hockey at at thirty seven. You know, knew kind of a a year or two leading up to that that the body was starting to take its take its toll, and um, it was tough. It was tough. Mm-hmm. I didn't miss the game of hockey, not whatsoever. Yeah. I missed. Yeah. I missed the uh, I missed the 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 trainers. I missed the players, the teammates that I'd played with. I missed that routine of going to the rink every single day, 
being told when to get on a bus, when to get on an airplane, what time, you know, curfew yeah. was, uh, you know, everything was structured for us, even in the off season, you know, you had your training, everything was planned out. Then it stops. And I mean, it stops just like that. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't say I had a tough time. I had a, I had more, the, the hardest thing I dealt with is, is dealing with no routine. Yeah. I didn't miss the game of hockey. I, I did so much and I, and I uh, enjoyed everything about my, my career, but I missed the routine. It was tough. Now you're at home. You're trying to figure out what, what the next part of your life is, is uh, what you're going to be doing with it. Right. Cause you have a long life to live after that. Have you put any time into now? I know you want to continue to play and, and hopefully that you'll find something that uh, you can enjoy because you've made uh, some, some really good money throughout your career. And, and I'm, what is Bobby Ryan going to be doing in five years from now? Do we have any idea of what, what you want to do? Do you want to be involved with hockey? There's a lot of hockey players that I, that I know that, just want to step away. They just, they don't want yeah. anything to do with it. And then there's the ones that literally drive right back into it because they, they want to coach. They want to, you know, be some part of, uh, you know, an organization. What do you want to do? Um, so now you're, yeah. The questions that I think you have to ask yourself when you're done are the ones that I'm like, you're being forced to confront right now for me anyway, I'm being forced to confront because all of a sudden you're like, maybe you don't get to play out on your own terms. Right. So like I'm dealing with that. Um, maybe I have played my last game and I don't know it, Like I don't think you ever quite know. Uh, I do know that I had some offers to teach uh, hockey and, and get right back into the certain organizations maybe, or, or start, you know, coach youth hockey here in Nashville. Um, and I, I've tried to be really, really slow about where I go because I don't want to jump into something that maybe doesn't make sense for me long-term, but then you made a commitment and you have to see it through. Um, five years from now, uh, I, I think I'll be in, in some capacity a coach um, for sure. That's, that's where I start to see myself heading. Um, don't ever want to coach a program or a team, but I want to help kids in skill development. That's, that's kind of where I'm going to think I'm going to find myself. Why don't you bring a USHL team to uh, Idaho? We got the Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, Coeur d'Alene uh, needs a program. They have a hockey academy because well, Gretz is right across the street over there, right? So um, he's got his hockey academy up here. And then, we, you know, Russ Cornell is up here. There's, there's so many hockey players in this area. Right oh, here. really? Oh, it's packed, man. Yeah, well, you, you've probably heard of Gaza Ranch, right? Where, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I sold, I sold my place there cause it earned me a one way ticket to Malibu. <laughs> I was like, I can't live here. I cannot live in this golf course community, but, uh, I sold that one and now I'm about 20 miles South of there in a different golf community. And it's a, more of a family feel quiet one, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's 20 hockey guys up here for sure. What the was summer. the, what was Is the Sheldon favorite? Surrey? One of them. Yeah. 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 Shelly's got a place over at Gaza as well. Do you know him at all? We played together in Anaheim. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. yeah. All he, right. He, so he took me to my first ever AA meeting back in the day. Uh, wow. but, and, and this was, you know, this was leading up to before I had gone, I remember I called Shelly and I was like, I think I need to have a conversation and maybe look in the mirror a little bit here. Uh, and I did, and he took me to a meeting and, uh, I didn't that I wasn't ready to, to be there yet. If that makes sense. Um, I, I was in the room 
and I was so fucking itchy and uncomfortable and, uh, you know, it was humbling, but I wasn't ready to have those conversations yet. So, uh, it's funny. Now I go back and, um, and, and, and reflect on that years later. Uh, but uh, you know, now I'm the king of those rooms. <laughs> well, you, you yeah. have a, you, well, you have a hell of a story and you're a polarizing figure. I mean, I, I'm, I just sit here and listen to you speak. I, I could listen to, I can't listen to many people speak like Riv. I got to cut him off after about 35 seconds. I could listen <laughs> to you speak all day long. It, it's unbelievable. I have I, the, the question I have. Oh, you're welcome. I, the question I have is, you know, Bobby, I look back and I mean, I'm, I'm very hard on myself about my career, whatever I made in the NHL, whatever. Okay. A lot of people would, would give their nuts to, to do what I did. And it is what it is. But I look back and I actually think about what was the most fun season I ever had? Not even in the NHL. Like when was the last time hockey was fun for you? When was, you know, like because of the pressure of making 7 million, the pressure of making 5 million, the pressure of being a second overall pick, the pressure of being a seventh overall pick in the OHL, the pressure of being, you know, playing for honey baked. I mean, you've had pressure on you your whole life. When was the last time hockey was actually fun for Bobby Ryan? And maybe it was the whole fun the whole time you played in the NHL. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I got to refine it last year in Detroit uh, from, from a fun standpoint. And, and I, I, I say that, full well knowing that COVID in hockey was it, that year was a shit show. Like, I mean, every single day you're getting tested, you're, you're jumping through hurdles and hoops. And, and, you know, the fact that we got the season off at 56 games felt like a miracle, it, you know, even though you're playing just divisional games, but I got to really find the, the, I guess the enthusiasm again, um, that year. And I started the year really well. Um, had some injuries and then I obviously had the big injury at the end. Um, and it was a losing season, right. With Detroit, but it was a, it was a very pivotal year for me. I think, and I'll look at this for the rest of my life is it was a pivotal point for me as Bobby around the person that I got to, I don't necessarily say I went out on my own terms, but I got to play hockey the way that I thought it should be played. And the respect for the game from my side of things was back, um, took nothing for granted and enjoyed the season. So that was, that was, that was the most fun I've had in a long time. And I don't think I had fun in a long time in Ottawa because of where I was as a person. Um, the, the year that we took our shot at the, at the cup, we ended up losing at Pittsburgh who went on to beat Nashville the conference finals. That was some of the most fun I had had playing hockey. Um, you guys were one goal away, weren't you? Game seven overtime. Yeah. 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 Chris Kunitz. Uh, scored in game seven. Your old but teammate was, in Portland, wasn't he? Fuck. Uh, I never crossed paths with him in Portland, but oh, I did in okay. Anaheim. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's um, right. In Anaheim. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Hockey's a small that's, world. It, it certainly is, man. I, I'll have to tell you the story about my first pro hockey experience in Portland when I got there. Uh, that was, that was eye opening because they had had four days off. Kevin Deneen sent them off on a bender and, uh, I had just lost out in the OHL, flew down and I'm like, you know, eyes wide just like oh here i am this is it this is pro hockey and these guys were at the university of maine for four days and i got dustin penner doing the wrestling they're full-on wwe wrestling in the middle of the locker room uh so hung over and hammered and i'm like this is it this is where i'm going <laughs> so, I mean, that was my first experience with Zenikanopka, you know pierre parento uh penner Shane well, didn't Kanopka like, break his ankle because they were wrestling in a in a hotel room or something that year? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't there for that or part of it, but yeah, that's that was it. Um, and then we got all the way there, and JS Alban was our goalie, and he fucking 
he got hurt. He broke his ankle playing uh, soccer pregame. So our starting goalie's out. Break broken ankle, and I mean, you got to be a non fucking athlete to pull that off for one, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so he he comes down and like I thought he was just messing around. And then I got to tell you this off. though, Bobby, you you if you've played in the league long enough, you know that those soccer games before the uh, before the, your NHL game that night, they can get heated. But those bloody, Europe, those bloody Europeans <laughs> are absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. And they pick on us, uh, the, the yeah. North American guys who look like we have three feet. And it's, uh, <laughs> who was the guy that, uh, that concussed himself before one of the games? Maxi Finneganoff before a playoff game hit his head. He almost didn't, he almost didn't play back in, oh, I can't remember what year that was, but. So we, we touched on Eric Weinrich earlier. Uh, I'm in Portland, Maine playing and he's behind the bench. He's a coach, right? Uh, first year outside of hockey. I get called up. I come back three weeks later and he's in the lineup as a defenseman. He got unretired to play. And he basically said, I came back for the pregame soccer. <laughs> that was all he's, he's like, that's all I wanted to do was play pregame soccer. <laughs> Couldn't stand behind the bench anymore. So he went from being a coach to a teammate very fast. Who is nuts. Who's your who's your best friend from the NHL that you didn't know before you got there? Oh man, um, well I guess Tyler Johnson, uh, who's you know uh, he's a quarter lane kid, so he's from here. Never knew him. I had played against him for a few years, and then I moved in uh, up here at Gaza, and he's he was buying a house, so um, he's honestly he's become like an extension of our family now. Uh, he's my daughter's first boyfriend, and. She chases him around and, uh, you know, he's become part of the family. So, uh, I, I think you, and you guys can tell me better. I think you start to establish who's going to be in the rest of your life pretty quickly after hockey. Um, because you get, you know, you're, you're having more conversations about that. And yeah, Tyler's one of those guys. It's a great answer. I didn't, cause you guys never, you said you never played together, right? Is that. We never met him. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never met him. Very, very. Who's been uh, who's been most supportive of your sobriety? Um, I guess from your your past playing days, and do you still keep in touch with Brian Burke at all? Um, I, I I don't keep in touch with Burke. You know, um, but I will say he reached out immediately to me when I was going through some of the hardest days, um, and and he was very very good to check on me. Um, so. It's hard to say who's the most supportive because it's you know you you want to give a hockey answer, but I don't. I think if your your direct partner and your wife isn't your most supportive, then you got a problem. And she certainly is. Uh, for me, in the hockey world, I got guys that check on me. Um, in the early days, I talked a lot with Nate Thompson, uh, a little bit with Sheldon. But as you get a little more comfortable with things, and, and well, the NHL reaches out to me all the time, right? Like as as they're going to have to to follow through on these things. But uh, I don't think I have a direct person anymore from the NHL that, you know, that, that worries about sobriety. But, uh, again, the same answer is going to be Tyler. Cause you know, he's seen me at best and he's seen me at my worst, uh, being up here at Gaza. So he's probably the guy that if I were in a real bind, that's what I'm calling about it. Your silver medal still in a drawer somewhere. I just saw it. Uh, I, I honestly, I was on pack of boxes. I just saw it. It's, it's, it's so it's in a bank little thing it's like a bank envelope and it's still it's in the bottom drawer of the yeah it's, it's it's in my closet but it's certainly not front and center it's not the right color to be uh to be exposed right <laughs> it's it's amazing because uh hockey players are so interesting like that 
you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll wind down here with you. Cause I know we've been going a while, but hockey players are so interesting like that. I mean, you, you find some Austrian skier that has trained his or her entire life to get to the Olympics and they would just kill for a bronze just to be on the yeah. podium. And here yeah. we are hockey players. And it's like, you know, gold medal or bust gold medal or bust. I, 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 I mean, I have a friend who won a, a silver medal at the, at the world juniors. And he, and I said, I, I don't even know where the medal is. He's like, hey, he's on team Canada, gold or bust, right? Gold or bust. And, and so, yeah. I mean, do you not think there'll ever be a day where you can hang that up and say, holy shit, I want a silver medal at the Olympics. I think I'll get to that place eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been 11 years now since 2010. And I think I've looked at that medal less than 10 times. Um, it was always a conversation piece when people would come over and then, you know, back when I was drinking, we'd always be like, Oh, you want to wear it? And then, you know, we'd pull it out for that. It was like a ceremonious thing, but it's always just been in that drawer. And I think it's just the way we're conditioned, right? Like it's, it's great to have a silver medal and I look back at it and it, you know, I will look back at it fondly, but right now it doesn't feel like I want anything. So I, I, you know, we didn't score the last goal of that game. So it feels like a loss. Um, but as you get older and more contemplative of those things, I think I'll certainly get to a point where I appreciate it more. Does not winning a Stanley cup weigh on you at all? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I took a good chance at it in 2017 and I thought we, we were not the best team in those playoffs, but we might've been the best team in those playoffs. If you understand right, what I'm saying. And yep. um, yeah, that, yeah. If, I, if I'm done and I've played my last game, then yeah, that's something that's going to keep me up at night for sure. I think like anybody that, you know, anybody that's played knows that you get to that point where you're like, wait, I did everything right for a period of time. I did everything wrong for a period of time, but it, you know, the wrong doesn't necessarily outweigh the right. You just didn't get to where you need to be. And, and when we win that last game, what was your favorite season in the NHL? What was your best season? I mean, I'm not even talking statistics because I'm, I'm looking at your statistics yeah. right now. So I know what your best season is statistically. And maybe that is your best season. Yeah, I would say probably back then, 20, 2010. Um, and, and I guess when you're talking about the NHL, I'm tying in that year with the Olympics. That was probably some of the best hockey I had played. Um, I was in a great place um, in Anaheim. I just, I loved our team. I think if we didn't have eight Olympians, we have a different season that year. But we had eight guys at the Olympics. And I remember playing the gold medal game. And then Tuesday night, you're, you know, on Sunday. And then Tuesday night, you're driving to play the Colorado Avalanche. So, fuck it. Like, right? like, that's how I felt. You went from, you know, one, yeah. one extreme to the other. I remember, and we wasted a lot of time coming back from those Olympics and kind of lost our place and didn't end up making the playoffs. But we were, we were a very, very good hockey team that year. And that was, that was probably my favorite season. Was there a healthy rivalry there? U S Canada between you and Getzlaff? I, uh, with Getz, I had a three-way there with uh, Getz, Paris and Scotty. And Perry, yeah. Uh, oh, that's, I forgot yeah, all about uh, Perry. Yeah. 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 So, um, I will give them all credit. They didn't, we, we didn't talk about the game one time. Never, never did they bring the game up until the video started with the silver and, you know, whatever those comedic things we did at the end of the season um, that ended up going viral. Um, but they never brought the game up. We, we honestly shook hands. It was, it was really, really weird. Cause then you're playing on the line with them, right? With Gets and Paris. So you're, you know, within 48 hours you're going against them for the biggest game of your life and then you're playing Colorado Avalanche 48 hours later and you're on the team and you're trying to figure something out together to work but it was a very different experience coolest two, que well. 
Two questions. One is fun. One's not. Coolest thing you bought besides a house, besides a car. Coolest thing you own that you bought that you had to have when you're playing in the NHL. Like maybe it's a piece of sports memorabilia. Maybe like coolest thing you bought. I got, it's such a bad answer. I got nothing. Um, I, yeah, I've never, I, I guess maybe vacation would be like, like I, that's it. That you know, experiences and stuff, but I, I don't, I've never been, uh, I guess the word would be materialistic, but I've never really, I've never splurged on anything like that. Just wasn't my thing. Just one of those fucking Pelotons back there, right? That's a bad guy. There you go. Hey? I'm a big believer, though. I am a big believer in it right now. Oh, My wife fuck is- off. If you can't ride a bike without someone yelling, <laughs> some digital person yelling at you, you shouldn't be on it. <laughs> it's not about it's not, it's not about the pressure. It's about if you're going to ride the bike for 45 minutes and you're going to grind it out, you might as well have a rocket staring you back and <laughs> telling you what to do. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Last question. I wish I wish I had a better answer for that last one, though. No, I'm, you know, I'm going to text you something later. <laughs> you know what? That's to me. That's probably an, uh, in all honesty, it's an admirable answer because do you have something in mind that why would, why would you ask the question? What, did you have something in mind that, uh, I don't know, like maybe he had a guitar collection uh, and he bought like old guitars from a band member, some band that he loved, or I, I don't know, like stuff like that. Like I always think like if I'm making 7 million a year, like shit, I'm going <laughs> to, my house would be, you know, decked out in toys. But, um, what advice yeah, I got nothing. What advice well, would you, I should actually, no, go okay, ahead. So go ahead. I, I still have it. Uh, it's all locked up now and behind gated key that I can't get to, but, uh, I was a major wine collector. So I had $250,000 worth of wine and then I stopped drinking. <laughs> so if anybody wants to buy it, let me know. But, uh, oh. I, 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 sell I don't the, know I how that thumbs up here. is happening there, but that's not for me, but yeah, you know what? I, I give I you a thumbs it. up on that. I, I you <laughs> listen, the, wine is like major league. There's a documentary about, uh, like, uh, you probably got, you know, have seen it where like the, this yeah. guy spent like he bought like half a million bottles and like they were all kind of fake or something too right they, they were fake yeah yeah the bottom fell out on the guy he spent a ton of money but yeah i built a 1600 bottle cellar over at gaza ranch and then stopped drinking and sold the house and now i got the wine and nowhere to put it so it's all it's all locked up but you it's couldn't mix there, that so. into the sale price hey eh? <laughs> no so I ended, I ended up selling to a uh uh a very famous person that's not hockey related. And I, I did try and they had no interest. Last question I'll ask you and we'll let you go. And this has been absolutely incredible. I want you to know that this has been, this has been amazing. Um, What advice would you give somebody who is struggling with substance abuse? So I, I think I got to a place where I was very automated with this response because people were asking me, you know, a year ago. And, and, and I, I honestly, I think I get the question a lot, but I, I got automated with the response. And then I think I lost a little bit of the effect, but I, when you, when you need to ask for help, then this is what I learned. And this is my experience. You need to have one very hard conversation. That's it. Right. That's, that's, that's it. You have to have one very hard conversation where you say, I have a serious problem and I am powerless over whatever it may be. Um, my advice to people would be like, you got to get very, very comfortable with being uncomfortable for a little bit. That's, that's where you have to get to. You have to, you have to be okay with being exposed, raw, vulnerable. Um, 
because I think for us as men and hockey players, you're conditioned to be strong and in front of things. And when you want to get better or quit drinking, you have to, you have to turn it into a 180 from where you're at. So my advice to people is like, just have that one hunt, one hard conversation and the rest gets a lot easier. That's, that's my advice. I've always been a Bobby Ryan fan because my brother always spoke so highly of you. I became a much bigger fan of yours when, you know, un- when, you know, un- it's unfortunate that you had to go through it, but the sobriety and the first game back and the hat trick and the fight, can't forget the fight. Um, but today chatting with you, uh, how candid you are, how honest you are, how intelligent you are. Uh, very proud to know you. Very proud to know you, you and very, Thank very you grateful for you coming on and me being uh, sober myself 10 years in May coming up. I'll say you ever need anything or you ever know anybody that needs somebody to talk to. I would, I'd be honored if you ever had to reach out. So thank you, man. No, yeah, no, that, that means a lot. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. And I, 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 I know, uh, I know Riff feels the same way. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just 10 years, man. I'm, I'm numbers that you hope to get to someday. So congratulations. Well, you you will. You gotta get there first. You get there first. Yeah. Well, you, you, well, we just had Ryan Leaf on, eh? And it, it's amazing, Bobby. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if it's, I don't, wouldn't call it spiritual or what, but I mean, like, Ryan Leaf comes on and and we're chatting and he's telling his story and and second I told, overall pick, second overall yeah. pick, and you know, and I said, uh, yeah, behind Peyton Manning and. But Fucking bigger, bigger bust than me, maybe. You were, you weren't a bust. That's the thing. You were not what are you a bust. Talking about, man? Like, you, you were not. You were not. Don't, if you see, if you think you were a bust, then you're you're crazy. But <laughs> but uh, you know, like I said, yeah, May fifteenth, I'll be ten years. He said May fifteenth, that's my birthday. You know, and it's like, and I'm just kind of like, and you know, and I'm just, I just remember I got goosebumps. I was like, holy shit, because secretly I was, I, I, I never, I was kind of embarrassed to always say it to someone, but I always said it to myself and I might've said it to a few people, but I was like, my birthday's May 5th. I quit drinking after, uh, my 32nd birthday. And you know, I can tell you that. So May 15th, I view it as like a rebirth day, you know? And like, I yeah, never even yeah. said those words out loud. I don't even think I'd ever really said my date out loud, but when he said that, I was like, man, there's a, there's a, some kind of a, 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 a power, a world power. That's, that's connecting that. I, I believe in that shit, man. I don't care if people yeah. roll their eyes right now. Fuck you. If you're rolling your eyes, but man, it, it's amazing. There's too many coincidences, like coincidence, excuse me, that, that you find. And I think you find those through recovery and meetings and like, but they're, yes, I, but I, wholeheartedly on the same idea as you i i believe in 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 that because it it's weird how many times dates add up and things add up and something comes back to you numbers numbers eh? like oh (laughs) yeah i'm glad i'm not alone i'm glad i'm i think that's the clarity man we're clear we see it (laughs) that's the best part see ribs is all foggy and shit over there like you just can't get to our wavelength ribs yeah sorry man (laughs) bobby absolutely incredible man so grateful for you today Thank you so Thank much. You. I'm glad we Bobby, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure, man. Pleasure, pleasure to meet you as well. I look forward to meeting you guys in person. Both of you Absolutely. Guys. Same here. Class. Same here. Yeah. yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks again, Bobby Ryan. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Revee 52 at The Instigator 76 
And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.